Hi there guys and welcome to today's live stream. We're going to be talking all about slip discs. How can you better understand them and what can go wrong in those lower back discs? And this does apply to the neck and the other areas of the spine, but today we're really going to focus and hone in on what can happen to those discs in your lumbar spine. And hopefully by the end of the live stream, you guys are really going to understand exactly what's going on. Maybe you've had some MRIs or x-rays, etc., that have referred to the discs, some sort of degenerative or herniated disc. And hopefully this live stream will help you guys understand that a little bit better. And then also what we can do and why certain things maybe don't help when we understand what is actually going on in the in the process of those discs becoming damaged, injured, or degenerated. So if you're new to the channel, please do consider subscribing. We do these live streams every single weekday today. It's an evening a little bit later than usual, but hit the notification bell because that way you'll know when we go live. And as I said, we go live every single weekday. And today is gonna be no different. We've got Lara the other side of the camera. She'll be taking down your questions. So if you've got those about your issues, your back issues or neck problems, then please do put those in the comments below and we will get to those at the back end of the live stream and ask some of those questions to give you guys some help. So with that being said, let's get into today's live. So uh, we've got a few drawings up on the board here. Uh, I thought it'd be helpful, first of all today, to go through sort of the normal structure of the disc and a few truths in there, uh, a few ways of understanding what it is actually doing in your back. And then we can get into my expert drawings um, a little bit later on with regards to what's going wrong. So the first thing we've got is we've got sort of the top disc here, which is sort of a normal healthy disc. And then we've got the various issues of the bulging or slip discs. We've got the herniated discs or prolapse discs. And then we've got that disc degeneration at the bottom or what's often termed degenerative disc disease. Uh, we've got a little picture down here, which I'll get onto later. But first and foremost, this the real structure of that disc. It's, it's got two main parts, if you will. We've got the fluid in the middle and then this ring of ligaments called the annulus fibrosis. And what the, the, the main thing we want to bear in mind is that it's the collection of fluid in here, this part here, which really should be in red like everything else so you can identify it. It's that fluid there that is what gives the disc its height. And why do we want those discs to have height? Because the fluid there being non-compressible means that it keeps the height of the disc so long as these ligaments remain intact and it's got nowhere to go. This is an enclosed environment. And because that fluid is non-compressible, it means that it preserves the space between the two vertebral bodies, which as we can see in this drawing down here, keeps that hole nice and large where the nerves can exit. And that allows firstly, the mechanical dampening of load through the spinal column, but also that the spine or the spinal cord has a way of exiting that safe enclosed structure to go out to wherever it needs to go. Maybe it's down the leg in the case of sciatica, maybe it's some of the nerves that go around your rib cage, or maybe it's some of the ones that come out of your neck and go down your arms. So the, the discs have those two main functions, a functional one to keep space open, and then obviously that shock absorbing function. And it is that fluid that's non-compressible, which is a very pivotal part in this. And just going off on a slight tangent to start with, when we have trapped nerve sciatica or those other sorts of issues, it is invariably the presence of excess fluid that is non-compressible in an enclosed space like down here that is trapping the nerve and irritating that nerve. Because if we pump extra fluid, it will be non-compressible. And the result of that extra fluid in a confined space will mean that the other structures in there can become compressed. And that unfortunately can lead to quite a lot of discomfort, especially if you've got things like sciatica. So it's a very important one. We've got the fluid that gives height 
and we've got those ligaments that keep the fluid in place. And the interesting thing about the discs in particular from a nerve point of view is we don't really have a need mentally and consciously to know what's going on in those discs. So when we come to the topic of a bulging or a slip disc, we don't really have any clue if this disc moves either side of the midline a little bit, it can bulge a little bit there um, without us really being aware of that in any sort of painful way because there's just not the need to have nerve endings that receive signals of damage down there. It's only when these uh, bulges come a little bit further out that they start irritating nerve endings and that's when we can start getting that initial kickback of tension in the lower back with a minor slip, uh, slipped or bulged disc. The problem is, quite a bit of damage will have already been done, generally speaking, for the disc to get to this point before it becomes painful. So it's worth bearing in mind that it's very, very rare that we get all of a sudden a complete herniation. With these disc problems, they've normally built up and this is why rehabilitation, correct exercises and a proper understanding of our back is so important for the short, medium and long term because it's very, very, very unlikely, unless you've had a severe trauma like you've fallen off a roof or been in a horrific car accident, that the one-off instance that you attribute your back pain to has been the sole cause. It's normally that the weakness has developed over an extended period of time and these discs have slowly been creeping out through damaged layers of these ligaments that then there's just not enough holding it in place and that extra trauma is what pushes it into the receptive area whereby our nerves are gonna go, whoa, there's something going wrong here, inflammation. So if we move down to the bulge, bulging uh, or slip disc, these are interchangeable terms. And it's in essence here, the nucleus, which I've put in red, we have to remember that fluid is in red here, is starting to move out of the midline. And I've done these sort of black lines along the top here, which we can erase now to signify that the height of this disc is starting to get smaller. And that's very, very important because as the height starts to get a little bit smaller, this space starts to become permanently smaller. And this is when, as we get past the critical mass on our way down here or critical progression, it starts to become difficult and certain movements that should be okay will now give you pain. And that creates a very confusing symptom picture for the patient. You don't know which movements are okay and which aren't. And some of those become painful that are actually okay if done correctly and safely. So it starts to create a bit more of a complex picture. And we covered this the other day with antalgic posture. It's usually these two where you'll start to get that antalgic posture as this extra disc fluid material starts to get stuck maybe a little bit further out here and interfere as pressure's applied here with some of those nerve endings and creates a little bit of that funny lean to one side. But it's important to note that the disc material hasn't, or the fluid material, hasn't necessarily moved all the way out. And therefore things like spinal decompression or IDD therapy, those sorts of things can really, really help here by taking the pressure off that disc because this is still an enclosed, isolated environment. Nothing has been completely pierced in terms of the boundaries of that wall, unlike in the example a little bit lower down with these herniated or prolapsed discs. They're very, very important, but we do have some serious ligament damage. You can see the ligaments are bowing on the side here. There's obviously the spinal cord would be coming down through here. And, and, and that disc bulge there is gonna create issues in the spinal canal. And this is where we first might see that diagnosis of a degree of spinal stenosis or lateral recess stenosis. Those are the common comments that you might see on your MRI report. And again, this can happen in the neck and the lower back. So this is the bulging disc. And if left unchecked, we start to get more and more of these ligament layers that we highlighted up here in blue start to fail. 
they don't heal properly. Maybe we're doing incorrect exercises and we're ripping them open more by doing forward bending exercises. Because as we start to do the classic knee hugs or forward bending or forward folding exercises in things like yoga, we are driving more and more pressure down the front of here which is going to have the effect of driving this non-compressible fluid through the path of least resistance. And when that happens, when we've got damage here, it's going to drive straight out the back. And this is when it slowly starts to creep on towards a herniation. And this is the first point at which we start to get into a little bit of trouble, whereby the fluid has now left the disc in a, more, uh, in a greater number. And the height of the disc has now more significantly reduced along here and therefore the space that we all have has now reduced again and that's not to say this this needs to be a permanent painful thing but it's something that that we need to consider in our management of this long term you're going to start to become a little bit more vulnerable to low low grade injuries low grade strains because the inflammation will occupy this space a little bit faster and therefore we may suffer more severe symptoms as a result of a less severe injury compared to when we have a nice big space that's still there. So it's important to do, do your best to try and avoid getting to this point here. That being said, once you are there, what is happening? We've lost this disc material, that's come out. We can't put that back. There's molecules that are in these discs called proteoglycan molecules and they hold onto the water. And once that water is, once those molecules are gone, we can't put them back in. As opposed to this environment with the bulge or slip disc where we can actually draw some things back in towards the middle because the environment is still closed. This is where we start popping the water balloon. And once the water's out, a little bit more difficult to get that back in. So it's worth bearing that in mind. It, there are also notes that it may not be completely like this. There, As we start to get towards those herniated discs, there are many different variations and nuance changes that would be um, discussed with your radiologist, your GP, your osteopath, your chiropractor, your uh, physician or surgeon where they'd start talking about the nuance changes that might be occurring here. Maybe you've still got a few layers of the annulus, which would be obviously in black. Those ligaments, the last couple haven't quite gone. They're still intact here, but they really are on their last legs. And maybe we need to be a little bit more careful. We could push things back a little bit further in terms of start to have a bit more of a positive impact here without losing too much. So it's worth bearing in mind that at this stage, the herniated stage, we can potentially, there may be capacity um, for different nuance findings to have different prognosis, which is good in many ways. Then we start to move to the degenerated uh, point, and you'll notice there's a lot less red in this image. This is maybe over time, and we are going to touch a little bit on dehydrated because those are the start of that degenerative uh, component. And this is really often diagnosed as degenerative disc disease, so DDD, um, typically by chiropractors. And we can see at this stage, the compression through these discs has been a very long period of time, and the disc height has dropped quite considerably. And what we also start to notice in this stage is the presence of osteophytes or bony spurs, which you can see in black on the side. And those obviously are a bit problematic because they start to encroach. Again, this is the second form of stenosis. We started off here with soft tissue stenosis, and now we're getting into more bony stenosis, which can be problems. Now, on the topic of bony stenosis, we do have other conditions like spondylolysis, etc., that can creep in and make this situation a little bit more complicated. But it's in essence, we really have not very much fluid left. The changes here are somewhat uh, permanent in height. We're not going to be reinflating it back to this level here. And we do have quite a considerable degree of degeneration. 
the stenosis will, that will be taking place here, that drop in height as well, will also be quite, quite, quite marked. And it becomes, again, another step in, in that direction of saying, right, this can stabilize and we can get the inflammation down into the soft tissues around here can heal nicely. And you can be more or less pain-free from time to time. And even for extended periods of time, if we are sensible and careful with good rehab. That being said, if we do have a minor nick of any of the soft tissues around here, it will just give you a little bit more pain than when you were like this or other segments that are like this. So it's very important as we start to move down this hierarchy that our focus on rehabilitation and after the episodes, that rehabilitation, that strengthening exercise that is so often just left need to be continued for the extended time, uh, for the long term really. And we need to adjust our outlook towards our back and say, right, my back can be really good, I can be really strong, and this will stabilize given a bit of time and the correct uh, protocols, the correct um, rehabilitation protocols. But I cannot neglect my back, I must keep good core strength, I must keep a good control over my uh, lower body as well, the way in which our legs work and support the spine and work through the spine. I must keep my hips and knees and ankles more mobile than they currently are to offset this slight immobility or, or relative immobility of this degenerative segment. Now, it's worth noting and just touching on dehydrated because these are often conflated. Degenerated disc disease, as an example, is 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 the end. This is the end of a spectrum which which may may go on further, and you start getting fusion between these bits here, just natural fusion of the joints. But it is a long spectrum, and quite often we see patients getting themselves. They come into the clinic, and they're in an awful, you know, they're mentally in, in not a, not a particularly good place. And we touched on this the other week in the live stream on mental health relating to back pain, because the person hasn't actually explained to them or the practitioner where on that scale of degenerative discs that person is, and sometimes they're nowhere near this end. There's some minor dehydration which means on an MRI you're going to see that those disc colors go from a whitey gray to a darker gray, which is the starts of this descending process. And if we can understand that actually we're only at a dehydration point, which may be um, the term dehydrated and degenerated may be interchanged, we can all of a sudden get a much better grasp on the problem and what is possible, because it may well be that we still have some fantastic disc height that it's just becoming a little bit dehydrated so the, the, the prospects are much, much different, and that's often not explained, unfortunately, to the patient. And the last thing I wanted to cover before we get into Q&A was going to be the presence of x-rays or the use of x-rays, because quite often patients come into the clinic or some of the members in Back in Shape ask us questions about, okay, well, why, why do we do an x-ray? Why are we not doing an MRI? And, and, and you can't see the discs on an x-ray, uh, but you can on an MRI, and there's two reasons for that. Number one, we've used the example before that looking uh, at a load-bearing structure, this, this, these discs are there to load-bear, looking for problems and why they're becoming damaged or injured or degenerated off load-bearing is like trying to look for a leak in a cup that is not full of water. We can put that cup full of water and very quickly understand that actually this is why these particular discs are under a bit more stress and this is how we can make nuanced changes to your rehabilitation and strengthening exercises to make sure that we can deal with that more effectively as opposed to lying down. Now yes you do see the scale of these things on the MRI which is obviously helpful if you're going down a surgical route of intervention but from us, from a point of view of helping you guys with your rehab or you better understanding the why behind these problems, in our opinion, those x-rays are much, much more insightful and can really help tailor that level of rehabilitation to you. And the bottom line is, you'll notice that on all of these, the disc heights have got smaller. 
When we have an x-ray, we do not see the disc, but we do see the space that that disc would have, would have occupied. And if that space is smaller relative to the surrounding ones, we can understand that there will be a degree of bulging stroke herniation at that level because it should, there should be more. And if these boundaries, these margins drop, then these widen. And therefore we can make those assertions from the x-ray imaging as well, but also have a much, much clearer understanding of what we're going to do to help that person with their rehabilitation. Maybe it's the hamstrings that need stretching. Maybe it's a little bit more work on the hip flexors because there is actually some anterior pelvic tilt creating shearing. Lots of different things can be understood there and we can be a little bit more helpful. Now, the last thing we want to talk about when it comes to discs is what do you do to help them? And our favorite one, many of you in the back of shape will know this particular exercise will be that towel exercise because the main thing that is key and present in consistency in all of these three here and the various permutations of these is that there is excessive compression through the spine and the typical exercises that you think of all get told like the knee hugs etc the child's pose are further compressing the front of these discs to drive that fluid back into those injured ligamentous structures and therefore we always recommend the towel exercise the small rolled up towel possibly a bath towel fold in half rolled up a few times to create something around about the size of, of sort of that there um, and placing that in the lower back to support the natural if you guys can see this the natural lordosis in our spine because that opens up those disc spaces particularly at the l45 and l5s1 which is the area that these uh, changes most commonly occur in the lower back so that's a really good one three to five minutes it will feel strange to start with especially if you're further down the the scale here it will feel strange it will be difficult for maybe a week or so but then many people in fact more or less everyone apart from the very very small number of cases will find that it actually becomes something they really really look forward to and uh, that is is an invaluable tool for keeping your disc as healthy as possible and really stopping it getting worse because it's consistent compression over time that causes these changes uh, and if we can interrupt that on a daily basis with a simple exercise it's very easy to do for everyone on the floor or if you can't get on the floor on the bed then we're going to do really really well so that's it from me going to q a okay brilliant good evening everybody please keep your questions coming in um just before we jump into the questions um just wanted to ask you there are there very frequently you hear sort of on the phone or patients will say my back went and it went while I was doing something very very simple i.e putting on my sock or just lifting shopping bags up is that what made the back go It'll or, be... you know what what stage in the process would someone who's who's been dealing with back pain and now that's kind of triggered it where would they be on that spectrum so if it's the very first time it's happened then they're going to be somewhere between here and here one of these two and I mentioned earlier that it's only when it gets past these specific sort of ligaments here uh, or these specific part of the disc here that it's going to start to irritate those nerves and quite often again going back to the start it's repetitive injuries inside this zone we're unaware of that starts to create the trouble and it's almost like everything's hanging on by a thin thread and it's that thin thread that was the thing that was broken or the thing that, that was the last straw that actually damaged the, or, or led to the symptoms, the raging sciatica or the inability to straighten yourself up after putting the socks on. It's that last straw that's done it rather than um, that th th people attribute to the pain. But in actual fact, it's a consistent barragement over many, many months, weeks, years uh, on that lower back disc that has caused it to become injured um, over time and weakened. Our bodies are miraculously 
resilient and robust and people can go through awful things and their bodies will bounce back in response to you know good care of self but the problem with our backs is we're not so aware of it mentally until it goes and then a good degree of work is needed to undo possibly years even decades of bad practice and it just takes a little bit of time our bodies are very very robust but when they're when they're assaulted for extended period of time they do eventually say hey you need to take care of me over here you know and, and then we need to have a concerted effort to work on that okay brilliant alice vesco has asked here uh what is the surgical approach to repairing a disc bulge can non-surgical approaches have success in resolving the issue the phase three exercises have really increased my core strength and sometimes i feel as though i'm almost pain-free until i get an unpredictable bolt of pain which lasts about an hour or so um for the rest of the day if i'm unable to do exercises so uh if we take the second the, what was the second part of that question? Because I can go into the surgery things in a moment. Um, I think it was just more of a comment just about uh, with the phase three exercises. They have increased my core strength, but sometimes uh, I feel as though I'm almost pain-free, but then I get an unpredictable so that's just about Yeah, that's just about building up that strength and that protection for that lower back area. And yeah. for the disc. There's still a few vulnerabilities in there. I know there's a few more nuance issues there, uh, Alex, that, that need just that time to remodel and rebuild a little bit better. And it's great that we're able to start doing those more challenging physical exercises that really do expose that area um, and, and just build up that support and that protection. Yeah. On the topic of surgery, there's a few different ones. There's going to be the classic disectomy. Uh, and some of these are non or, or are minimally invasive. Some of these are a bit more direct. So the, the classic one with regards to the disectomy is going to be they just get in, chop this off. Simple as it's gone. We've erased it from existence. And now it can no longer put pressure on the nerve. It's nice and clear. So that's the first one. Second one is going to be a laminectomy uh, or partial laminectomy, which is where this back bit down here, gets removed this is always throws you when you see it on an x-ray because there's just a big missing bit of bone where this bit that comes so that's not there anymore and you can see what that does to the space it creates a huge amount of space um, but these are a little bit more invasive that second one that the, the, the full laminectomy where they just pull it off uh, essentially it creates more space um, but you have to bear in mind that there's a lot of attachment sites here the bones on the back are basically the anchor points for all of these muscles and ligaments, etc. And if we remove those permanently, that is obviously has um, downsides that need to be explained to the patient. Um, that it's going to challenge those muscular structures on the back to find different places to hang on to, essentially. So that's one of the others. And then we start getting into the more sort of uh, invasive ones. You've got the uh, the artificial discs where they essentially replace. They put a plate in here and a plate in here, normally titanium, that bolts onto the bone, and then they put basically a, a fake disc in the middle here. Sometimes they'll do fusions where they put a bit of bone graft in there and basically just stop that thing moving. The problem is with a lot of these surgeries is there is generally the goal of, if the disectomy hasn't done it, they'll go on to those other procedures, which for, for, for the overwhelming majority of you watching this, it, it, they're really not gonna be appropriate, um, especially if we've done, if we do some, some clear, direct, consistent, concerted rehabilitation over an extended period of time and give our body the time it needs to recover and remodel and rebuild the strength around those soft tissues, particularly the ligaments I'm talking. The muscles can compensate very, very quickly, like Alex mentions in that question. The muscles can compensate and build up very, very quickly, uh, relatively speaking, but it's the ligament structures around here that provide stability around those segments 
it's the remodeling of those and the tightening back of those, which is a very, very slow process because ligaments respond a lot, lot slower than muscles. So, you know, if we're going down the surgical route, it is going to disrupt that area. It's going to create a good degree of tissue damage if it's the less uh, minimally invasive options. And we can do an awful lot ourselves from consistent rehab, but a lot of people just don't do the right ones for an extended period of time and then get disenfranchised. Okay, um, Kate has asked here, if the disc is dehydrated from the synovial fluid, how does extra hydration by drinking plenty of water help? As I do find drinking water does help with my neck, makes it easier to move. Great question. Repeat that first bit to me, because you so, said about synovial fluid. So uh, if the disc is dehydrated yep. from the synovial fluid, or let's just say the disc is just dehydrated, uh, how does drinking plenty of water help? Okay. Um, important important distinction here mm -hmm. is that uh, the disc is not technically synovial fluid. Synovial fluid are different joints like your elbows. The facet joints on the back are synovial joints. Um, they've got an articular surface and they've got a synovial membrane which secretes the fluid. So our knees, hips, etc., are synovial joints. The disc is technically not, but the fluid is still there nonetheless. Um, our discs rehydrate every single night. Uh, the same as everything else, for example, uh, build, rebuilding the muscle, etc. If we provide ourselves with a steady supply of consistent nutrient X, be it fluids, be it protein, etc., that will be used in the body during its natural rehydration process. Every single day, every single one of us will wake up a little bit taller than we go to sleep because we're slowly dehydrating those discs. They're natural. It's a natural process. It happens every single day. And as we go like it takes a drink of water. <laughs> and as we go to sleep and this pressure comes off our spine, we start to drive fluid back into those discs. So it's happening every single day. The rehydration and the regular drinking of water is only gonna help with the numerous other things, the removal of toxins, waste products, etc. We don't want our body to be thick and sludgy. We want to have adequate hydration, especially on these upcoming hot days to make sure that all those waste products are drained away, be that inflammation or just be that the natural waste metabolites that happen inside our body. So just drinking that regular supply of water means your body adjusts to that. And many of you guys who've tried drinking a lot of water will notice that if you up your water intake, you just up your bathroom visits and it seems a little bit pointless. But as your body gets used to it over the course of a couple of weeks, you will find that the bathroom visits will turn back down to normal because your body almost has that knowing of saying, I know I'm going to get about two or so liters, three liters of water every day. So I don't need to excrete and remove it quite as quickly as I did, uh, you know, when it first jumped that so uh very interesting one but drinking the water is going to really help is that what bodybuilders do in reverse before yeah. a, a so show? before before a show for bodybuilders they will take diuretics or they'll uh, asparagus is one of the ones that you add into the diet uh for example and that really dries you out because it forces you to go to the bathroom more regularly right okay um gloria has asked here what is the best exercise to help the discs i feel pain more when i stand up uh in my lower back yeah, uh, so that's it. they're a load-bearing structure. And unfortunately, it's the standing that puts pressure on those. Uh, and don't be fooled by sitting because sitting doesn't necessarily help them, although it feels better. The reason that the sitting feels better is that we increase the size of this space here. We actually put more pressure on the discs when we sit. So then when we go to stand up again, the pain is actually worse than when we sat down to relieve the pain in the first instance. So it's a very, very vicious cycle. There's the two main things that we want to do in the short term, which is going to be the phase one work. That's that towel exercise specifically, which we mentioned earlier on. And then we've got the icing to reduce the inflammation in that area. Coupled with the other phase one exercises is obviously very important to keep the hips mobile so we stop injuring the back. We want to make sure that when we're standing up, we're standing up erect, we're standing up straight, we're not leaning forwards. We try and avoid those antalgic postures like we mentioned um, in, I think it was yesterday's live stream. 
And as your body starts to stabilize in that area, the inflammation comes down. I'm doing things like the towel exercise, the phase one exercise and the icing, now phase one exercises, then we can start building up some strength and protection. Because as long as standing up is challenging, we don't have enough support for that midsection. Therefore, we're irritating some of these injuries and creating further issues. The answer is not, unfortunately, to just lie down and not do anything because we're going to lose the strength and stability in those muscles. We must, that is an example where we do need to try our best to actually get a bit of movement. And we get this sometimes with patients in the clinic where they'll call up and they'll say, you know, I've got, an, I've got a new patient appointment or I've got an appointment coming in, but I've had a little bit of a flare up at home. You know, I had to walk the dog and it ran off in one direction and pulled me. My back's flared up this morning and I can't really move very well. Can I reschedule my appointment? We say, actually, no, it'd be better if you come in because you've just been in bed all night. And then they get into the clinic and go, I'm glad you got me to come in because I already feel better just coming here, yeah. just getting a bit of movement. Um, is really, really important. And there is that tendency to just sit down and do nothing because everything hurts, but a little bit of controlled movement, you know, a little bit of walking, even if it's around the kitchen with a bit of support on the side will help coupled with icing those other exercises and the avoidance of bad exercises that we've mentioned, you know, uh, in numerous videos. Yes, Alex Vesco says, avoiding bad lifting habits, use your knees yep. and your hips, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. That's why we get those hips mobile in the phase one, because it's so important to reduce the muscle spasm in the legs, as possible so we can get those hips moving better yeah and gloria this might help you too ollie has asked here is the towel exercise a better option to help the discs than extension exercises yes yes yeah. uh, because the extension exercises um, when we do those we actually compress the facets and as i mentioned as we lose the disc height the facets naturally because the facet joints which are the back part we've got the discs on the front which is this part and then that comes out if we just draw it on the board for you guys to see over the uh operated on herniation we have obviously this bit here, this bit here, and then we've got the facets. And these ones are those synovial joints. I think Kate mentioned that earlier. Yeah. And as this drops, so does this, and therefore we're more likely to irritate those facets. As we go into extension, pure extension, like for example, the McKenzie exercises, mm -hmm. those will drive these facets into one another. Whereas the towel will gently decompress everything in a balanced way. And therefore you often find that people will find the towel, they'll be surprised at how comfortable the towel is relative to those extension exercises. So the towel is such a better option. Some of you guys will have to do it on the bed because it's not as easy for you to get on the floor in the early days. But once you do get a little bit better, a little bit more mobile, obviously in the phase, uh, in the, in the, uh, Facebook group, we did that video on how to get on the floor a little bit more effectively or a little bit more gracefully without irritating your back. You know, there are those sorts of tips to do it on the floor because it does work a bit better, but doing that towel on the bed is, is, is a great way of just feeding yourself into doing something that's gonna help your back rather than being stuck doing nothing or doing the worst things. Okay, brilliant. Joe's asked here, uh, could you have a disc bulge without pain or any symptoms? Is this still an issue? So this is this is a big, uh, a big sort of point of contention amongst a lot of therapists and of varying professions and, and I do take a bit of a, a not, not an extreme point but a frustrated point that a lot of those guys are just saying that because they don't know how to use the imaging to effectively they say oh you don't need imaging because everyone has disc bulges or something to that effect oh 80% oh, yes, of people right. that you x-ray or you MRI will have some sort of injury or whatever it may be um, and, and I go back and I say well I'm sure if you took, we were obviously in Cavendish Square in central London, if you took a hundred of the cars that drove past here, how many of them would have maybe overly worn brake pads or overly worn tires? And they're not a problem right then, but what if they need to brake? A lot of us will have these processes taking place over an extended period, period but the fact that they're occurring in one area, 
or in a pocket of our spine, or in a pocket of our, of, of, our, of our body, indicates that we are most likely doing things repetitively to that area that can create a problem. And although at this snap point we see, oh, that disc is bulged in the back, I don't have any back pain, um, that doesn't mean that there's not a problem there. That's when we're operating, we're operating from pain or we're operating from structure and problem. Uh, and I did mention previously on one of the live streams in the past, looking at uh, a, a young girl that came in in her early teens, sorry, late teens, early 20s, who was a gymnast who came for a routine checkup and had a grade two spondylolisthesis, which is a complete break of the spine, grade two. That's quite severe. She had no pain. Now, is that a problem, the fact that her spine is broken or is it not a problem? Well, I would argue that, that is a problem and something you need to be aware of. But a lot of people that don't use imaging that regularly kind of argue away the need for imaging. And um, I'm not particularly keen on that. Okay, awesome. We're going to move on to Karen's question here. She's talking about disc bulges in the neck. When I'm out cycling, I tend to get pins and needles in my fingers. Would this be because I'm compressing my neck cycling on a road bike? Yep. I, have, I have asked her which fingers. Wait for her to get back. Yes, that would be exactly why. Um, you know, the position to be on a road, road bike, especially if you're in and around London, you're going to be in a, a position that compromises those uh, neural foramina the exit foramina uh, in the neck, especially we're having to check our blind spot regularly, I hope, um, looking over the shoulder. So we've got a good degree of extension. Certain joints there might be a little bit stiff, so they don't want to move as well as others. So therefore, of all of the joints in the neck, maybe half of them move well. And when we're stuck in that position like that, mm. and going to look over our shoulder, you're going to really get that hole in the neck and close it very, very quickly as we're doing that and boom, we're gonna get that pins and needles. Or it may just be that slow buildup of information and tension through here is starting to occlude the nerves and that's going down into the fingers and maybe we're getting certain pattern of, of numbness. So if you're getting sort of those sorts of things, we need to work on the neck mobility. It may just be a simple thing that some of those joints aren't moving as well as they should be. So we've got that exercise that we've discussed in the past, the, uh, the band exercise around the neck coupled with the towel exercise and doing that regularly um, can really help mobilize the neck a little bit better. It's a great one from home, um, as well as things like spinal decompression, et cetera, and IDD therapy, those can help as well, but, but something that you can do at home to help the movement in the neck, and that way you might find that you get that numbness a little bit less because all of the joints are working a little bit better and we're not focusing strain on one. Okay, brilliant, that's you, cycling bikes. That's what actually triggered my neck pain too, the heavy Boris bikes in London. Yeah. I only rode it for about 20 minutes, but it set off my neck pain. Yeah, and you don't realize, you know, um, people when they have back injuries or neck injuries do realize if you're in a taxi or in the car and you're going over some of those bumpy roads, all of a sudden you're like, oh gosh, my legs do do a good job of soaking up the shock that comes through my body. But when you're on some of those bikes that don't have good suspension, it just literally is jolting straight up your spine. Yeah. And then you're having to do precarious movements whilst you're cycling around with maybe a heavy, some heavy handlebars. Okay, awesome. Um, I think that is it for today. Brilliant, thank you everybody for your questions. Awesome, yeah, thank you very much guys for your questions. They're really, really appreciated and they may put me on my toes and hopefully gave you guys some helpful answers and some helpful insights into your disc problems and uh, neck issues as well. So thank you very much for joining us guys. If you have watched it this far and you find it interesting, please do consider subscribing to the channel and hit the notification bell. And if some of you guys uh, tend to lose where the live streams are, especially if we change the time. So if you make sure you you've got that notification bell hit, uh, you will get an alert from YouTube, I believe, um, and they will let you know, hey, 
uh, the Mayfair Clinic are going live Facebook in 30 minutes and Facebook do the same thing. So that way you won't miss out and miss your opportunity to ask those questions. And we will continue to do these live streams and the Q&A at the end every single time. And tomorrow is our 100th episode since we started doing these in lockdown. So Amazing. really, really awesome milestone. Thank you very much for being a part of it. If you're a regular viewer as well, and if you're new, uh, hopefully you'll be with us on many more. And we will see you guys tomorrow for episode number 100. Have a great evening.